Last year, um, in the uh, rainy season retreat, I think it was around this time, some one of these evenings, um, I had a conversation with Artikatu. Was anybody there for that one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the first time we'd ever done anything like that, I had a com- sort of like a public conversation. And um, it wasn't scripted, and we just went with it, and it seemed to work well, didn't it? So we thought we'd do it again this year, but this time with my great friend Prasadu. And again, it's not scripted. We don't really know where we're going to go with this, but we'll just see what happens. Um, um, uh, but before we start our conversation about Artacharya, uh, I want to just ask Prasadu a few questions about himself, because I guess he's not known that well by some of you. How many people, have, how many here don't know Prasadu really? Quite a few of you. Okay, good. So... Uh, Let's get to know him a bit, shall we? So, Prasadu. Mm-hmm. Uh, where have you been recently? I've never been. <laughs> no. Where do you live? Let's start with where do you live. Okay. I live in Yorkshire, in West Yorkshire, in a small village called Rishworth. Beautiful place, next door to a farm. And it's halfway between Leeds and Manchester. And it takes 30, 40 minutes to get in here. On a good day. On a good day. And on a bad day? On a bad day, it could be an hour and a half. Mm. Okay. And um, what do you do there? I live with my wife and my um, family. I've got four sons. The oldest is 31, and he's left, he's married, he's got uh, one child of his own. And there are three others, aged 22, 20 and 18. The eldest is back at home after having gone to university. I believe this sometimes happens. People go to university and then come back home. (laughs) But he's only there temporarily. Uh, He's working as a a bar manager in a tapas bar and as a stock controller for a supermarket while he uh, waits for his proper job which is going to be in Derby as a project manager with Rolls-Royce. He's done very well. Got another son at university. And the last one... (laughs) 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 I I have to say, I've got mixed feelings about a noise like that because I actually am a motorcyclist. <laughs> Is that one of your mates going past him? <laughs> so, his, his, this would probably be quite impressive. What kind of motorbike was that, Prasadi? Uh, I can't tell you the make, but it sounded to me like a V twin. Oh. And it would be around about a thousand cc, I would imagine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not dissimilar to mine. Right. Okay. So, the last one. Um, the last son, he was 18, just in the middle of his A-levels, and all being well, he'll be going in September to, to university. We've got our fingers and lots of other things crossed Sorry. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So then they'll just be my wife, Christine, and myself. Okay. And what do you do for to earn a living? Uh, I work for the National Health Service. I've worked for them for, um, well... Since 1980, so you can work it out for yourselves. I don't like to actually say the number, but it's a long time. (laughs) Uh, 
And I work uh, as, a, as a clinical psychologist. I've worked uh, in various uh, health trusts. And at the moment, I'm a consultant clinical psychologist and director of psychology for Calderdale and Huddersfield NHS Trust. Mm. Okay, good. And uh, how long have you been ordained? I was ordained in... Um, you, you ought to remember this. Um, because you ordained me. <laughs> I know the answer. I just have to be using it. It was in 1994 in Gucciolaca in Spain. I was really fortunate to be able to go for the full four-month retreat with the incredible support of my wife, who at the time had a four-year-old and a two-year-old and was pregnant. And I went away for four months. Who said shame on you? <laughs> <laughs> that is impressive, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Great. Okay. Uh, so, it's good to know, get, get to know Fasado a little bit, isn't it? And our topic this evening is uh, Atacharya, which is uh, <clears throat> one of the four Sangavahavastus, as you heard earlier. It's the third one. And just to say that the Sangavahavastus, I haven't heard it said so far on this rainy season retreat, but they are part of the Bodhisattva's skillful means. So uh, a Bodhisattva practices the six perfections, the six paramitas, uh, but there's a seventh one added sometimes, and it's upaya kushalya, which is skillful means, which basically means um, the Bodhisattva's experience and his knowledge and his understanding, his, his insight, he or she adapts it for their audience. So they adapt any of the Buddha's teachings, particularly so that, it really, that people really understand what it means in their terms. Uh, and it's also, it also came to mean uh, actions which are skillful and appropriate for beings. Um, there are a number of aspects to skillful means, but um, the four Sangha Havastus are one of the most important ones. Um, but although it's uh, you know, a very large part of the Bodhisattva training, um, a very large part of the Mahayana, it goes way back to the four Sangravastus, go way back to early Buddhism, to the Pali Canon, where they're called the four Sangahavatus, which is Pali. Sangravastu is a Sanskrit word. Some of you may know of um, the, the lay follower called Hataka, um, we're indebted to Ratna Prabhu, really, Ratna Prabhu, an order member who now lives in London, uh, for really researching into the four Sangha Havastus because he found a lot about them in the Pali Canon. They, they all seem to be uh, based around this lay follower, Hataka. And uh, I'm just going to read you uh, some, uh, a conversation between the Buddha and Hataka. But before I do that, there's a precursor, what nowadays is called a prequel, isn't it? Um, and you know this, don't you? I know some of it. Um, apparently, before the episode that Ratnaguna is going to read, um, the, um, the Buddha and Hataka came across each other, or rather Hataka came across the Buddha. And um, Hataka was asked if he would teach the Dharma. And he was told by the Buddha that um, he would be the only person that was there that was a Buddhist. Well, he didn't say you're the only person that's a Buddhist because they didn't talk about Buddhists in, in that time, but 
apparently um, Hattika sort of took this on, on his own. Uh, and he, um, I believe, came from quite a wealthy um, family. And he set about trying to share the Dharma and to spread um, the Buddha's teachings. And I think what Ratnagun is going to read is what happened when the Buddha returned and um, wanted to see Hataka to see how he'd been getting on. No, I've got the wrong one. Have you got yours, Sandy? This is another one. This might be the one that you... <laughs> Here we go. So, um... I haven't started yet. Hold on, I'm still looking for it. Here we are. So, the Blessed One, it's called the Blessed One in the text here, the Blessed One is the Buddha, was staying near Alavi at the Agavala shrine. Then Hataka of Alavi, surrounded by approximately 500 lay followers, went to the Blessed One. On arrival, having bowed down to the Blessed One, he sat down to one side. As he was sitting there, the Blessed One said to him, Large is your following, Hataka. How have you won over this large following? Hataka replies, Lord, I have won over this large following through the four grounds for the bonds of fellowship taught by the Blessed One. So the four grounds for the bonds of fellowship are the four Sangohavastus. That's what the translator calls them here. He, go, he goes on, when I know that this person is to be won over by giving, then I win him or her over by giving. When I know that this person is to be won over by kind words, then I win over this person by kind words. When I know that this person is to be won over by beneficial help, then I win him or her over by beneficial help. When I know that this person is to be won over by consistency, then I win him or her over by consistency. And he says more, but that's what he says about the four Sanghavatus. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? And they later became the Bodhisattva's skillful means or part of the Bodhisattva's skillful means. So beneficial activity. Um, I just wondered if you've got anything to say about that, um, <laughs> uh, Prasadu, about beneficial activity. How do you take that? Yeah. Because you've got giving, you've got kind words. What could beneficial activity yeah. consist of, do you think? Well, one way of thinking about it is that beneficial activity is about the things that we might actually do. It might be to do with actions and behaviour. Um, but you can also think of beneficial activity as... Um, to do with the things that we say in terms of what suggestions we might give or what advice we might give to someone or how we might be helpfully trying to encourage somebody to, um, to do something or to not do something. Uh, and especially in particular, um, helping to bring somebody to the Dharma and to the teachings. And I think that, you know, that, that's how I like to think of it best, really. Yeah. Something that we might say uh, or 
a means of uh, talking to someone that helps them to make contact with uh, the teachings. Mm. Mm. Before we go into that aspect of it, the, the talking aspect, I'd just like to say a little bit about the beneficial activity. And particularly, I'd like to say something about you and beneficial activity because um, I've known Prasadu for a good 20 years now, isn't it? Since the late 80s. Since the late 80s. We won't work that out. (laughs) Um, uh, So quite a long time. And uh, throughout the whole of that time, I would say you've been consistently helping people. Yeah. Um, Through your work, of course, as a Mm. clinical psychologist... Um, looking after your family. And uh, can you just say a few words about your dog? Yes. <laughs> we have a border collie <laughs> called Guinness. Um, he's, he's black and white and he pulls well. And uh, <laughs> we, we got this dog um, from a rescue centre. The boys had wanted a dog for a long time and um, I'd resisted because I knew... As many of you probably know, what happens when you get one of your children a pet, you end up looking after it. <clears throat> and I wasn't really prepared to take a dog on. But they got to the age when, you know, yes, OK, you can have a dog now. Uh, and we wanted to just give a dog another chance. So we, um, we sought out, because we knew a Border Collie was going to be the breed for us. So we sought out a Border Collie from the United Kingdom Border Collie Rescue Centre. And we took Guinness on when he was somewhere between two and three. Uh, Nobody knew really because they just knew he'd had a a hard life. Um, I mean, so hard, incidentally, that when we threw a ball for him or uh, went to throw a stick, he just sort of froze. And we got one of those... Have you seen those things that are curved that you put a ball in the end and then when you're like me and, you know, a few years have gone by and you're not as strong as you used to be, you can still send the ball an awful long way. Uh, and I, I went to, after I'd had enough of this, because uh, if you know dogs in general and border collies in particular, they're always going to keep going long after you have. Um, I just went to, you know, pick the ball up and put the lead back on his collar And because I'd still got this thing in my hand near his face, he just flattened himself on the ground and cowered. Mm -hmm. So we we knew he'd had a really tough time. (laughs) And um, I wish you could see him now. We've had him a few years now and he's he's fine. He's a gorgeous dog, so (laughs) friendly. And when I... uh, I haven't seen him for a couple of years now, at least, but uh, when I used to go and visit Fasadu, first Guinness would just cower away in the corner. And we'd just be sitting there talking and, event, you know, bit by bit he'd come up towards me and eventually he'd put his chin on my knee. And uh, once he'd done that, we were friends and then we, we could just play together or whatever. But then I went away again and then I came back and the whole, we'd have to go through the whole thing once again. Yeah. yeah. And uh, your next door neighbours have got some dogs, haven't they? Uh, next door neighbour has got now just... Um, well, there are two neighbours. One's, one's got... A border, the farmer has got a border collie um, called Gromit and uh, <laughs> Gromit doesn't like other dogs but that's not a problem because they keep it uh, away but we've got a couple of elderly neighbours um, 
um, Margaret and Brian, um, who were, you know, really quite old now, they've got a little dog. And unfortunately, um, Brian's ill. He's been really ill. He's got, um, he's got prostate cancer and he's also suffering with dementia. And poor Margaret has got really kind of worn down with all this. And one day when the nurses were around to look after Brian, Margaret collapsed. This is only very recently. Uh, and Margaret was carted off. So then Brian had to be found somewhere temporarily uh, in a nursing home. Uh, and the, the little dog um, needed looking after. So we volunteered to look after this, this little dog, which is also a rescue dog. Uh, so doing, I've been doing that for a little while, but mm. she's gone back now because Margaret's now back at home. Right. So this is Prasada, you see. He's, he seems to me to be uh, uh, a living embodiment of um, the four Sanghavastus, dana, kindly speech, beneficial activity, exemplification. And you're going to talk a little bit about exemplification tomorrow, mm. aren't you? Mm. So uh, let's move on to the second part of beneficial activity. And I've got more stuff somewhere. Uh, I've done a little bit of research in preparation for this. Um, so we've heard that um, one way of understanding the four Sanghavastus is to um, the bonds of friendship, make, you know, bringing about the grounds for the bonds of friendship. I googled four Sanghavastus. Have you ever have you been googling Sanghavastus since we started? Not much comes up actually. It's you. Most of it is to do with Sri Ratna because we've really made something of it. But there's a couple of other things here. This is from the NKT website. Uh, um, he or they or whoever wrote this uh, has, has called them four ways of gathering disciples. And uh, the third one, the one we're concerned with this evening, Atacharya, they, they put down as helping others in their Dharma practice by giving them encouragement. And then there's another one from a, a Rig. Pa, Rigpa Waiki website. Again, the four ways of attracting people, uh, the four ways of attracting disciples. And it says here, he or she should teach each individual according to that person's needs. So very much to do with skillful means here. And then another one from the Dorge Shukden website. Uh, it says, Give benef- giving benefit is where we share the Dharma teaching. And this is more or less what you were saying, wasn't mm. it? So before we go into specifics about this, um, you and I, Prasada, have been teaching together for quite a long time now, haven't we? Mm. What, three, four years? Must be something like that. Must be something like that. Usually on a Tuesday evening to beginners. And we always meet about six o'clock. We go to one of these cheap um, curry places and uh, we talk about who's going to do what, we talk about the theme, who's going to do what, and then we discuss together. So um, I think I'm right in saying that you enjoy teaching. I, I do enjoy it very much, yeah. What is it that you enjoy about teaching? I, I, I just get a really nice kind of warm feeling inside when um, people get it and when they appreciate what you're actually, what you're actually saying. It's just a real joy to me to be able to kind of share things. Um, I, I do enjoy teaching here. I love teaching um, the Dharma, but I also, you know, do a bit as part of my work as well. 
And I guess I've always liked it. Mm. You do a bit of teaching Dharma as part of your work as a clinical psychologist. Um, I, well, there's a bit of... <laughs> I mean, the, the, the short answer is yes. Uh-huh. Um, years ago, 20 years ago, I was really kind of hesitant about, about you know, the idea that I thought it would be somehow, you know, not the right thing to do. Um, but I do it more and more as the, uh, particularly mindfulness and the meditation practices that are now actually part of mainstream psychology have, have grown um so yeah i unashamedly now introduce elements of the dharma and explain where they're coming from i generally say something like well from my tradition and they know that it's from a buddhist tradition because when i was ordained i decided i was going to be prasadu um, wherever i was so i'm prasadu with the tax people and some driving license and I'm known throughout the NHS as Prasadu. Mm. Um, and it's always a, when somebody's coming along to, to um, a meeting, to uh, a seminar <clears throat> or something at work and they're expecting to see Dharmachari Prasadu uh, and, and they meet me, you know, looking like I do with a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> They're a bit befuddled sometimes, and they generally want an explanation, or they're curious at least. You know, how come you've got that name, or where's that from? Hmm. Which is another, well, another means of me helping to kind of introduce people. Hmm. Uh, hmm. I'll probably say a bit more about that oh, tomorrow. Ah, oh, okay. Tomorrow. <laughs> good. So That's good. Look forward to that. Uh, and yes, yeah, so uh, Prasadu and I uh, do quite a lot of teaching together. And one of the things I really like about our teaching relationship, if you can say that, is how relaxed and um, uh, we don't prepare very much. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> we just meet up. Uh, what, what's tonight's theme? Uh, yeah, do you want to do that? Uh, yeah, I'll do that bit. And then we just do it. And we just start and see where it gets to, really. And what I really like about it is... A bit like tonight, really. A bit like tonight, yeah. <laughs> um, is, is that it, it seems to work well. It's, at least we enjoy it and people keep going back. And w- I think one of the strengths of doing something like that is the relaxed uh, nature of it. And we can just go with whatever people need. I mean, we did do a course where Prasadu had the idea of um, not having a theme. And we would just say to people at the beginning of the evening, what do you want to know? You know, where do you want to go with this? And then we would, we would just do that that evening, and then we'd do the same the next evening. Um, but uh, you were saying earlier something about um, uh, beneficial speech, weren't you? Yes. Um, in terms of just trying to um, communicate something that is helpful, mm. uh, uh, it's sort of what I you know, what I do for a living, uh, in a sense. Mm. Um, it's not just kindly speech. It's not just saying something that is, you know, pleasantly delivered, as it were. It's actually saying something that is going to have an effect and is going to help somebody to, well, to change. Mm. Uh, I think that's the key. Helping somebody to, to change. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And... Uh... Presumably you've experienced that 
Or are you always the one who helps someone to change through your speech? No, um, I've been on the receiving end. Um, that sounds negative. I mean it in a really positive <laughs> way. <laughs> of speech that's been really helpful or somebody has said something. We've probably all experienced that where, you know, somebody just says something and for some reason it means a lot more than the words would immediately kind of suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I remember something that you said to me um, a long time ago now. Uh, I, I had not been in the best of communication with Ratnagil. Not that we were, again, that sounds as though we, we would, we'd fallen out or something. It wasn't that. It's just I'd been a bit lax in maintaining uh, good communication and good contact. Mm. And when... When I did meet with Ratnagiri, I was very apologetic and I remember saying something like, um, I've, I'm so sorry that I haven't been in touch. I, I've been meaning to write you a really long letter because, you know, quite a lot had gone on. So that was why I thought I needed to write a long letter. And I was feeling bad. And instead of making me feel worse um, by saying something inappropriate uh, or unhelpful, what Ratnagiri said was, um, well, maybe you should write me a short one. And it really struck home in a really positive way. Mm. I learned a lot from that. And, you know, I still remember it as something that was really helpful. Mm. It was really helpful because it encouraged me to change and to be different. Mm. And, you know, when you haven't got time to say a lot, well, just say a little. Mm. Even if you've got somebody in mind and you think, well, it'd be nice to send them a postcard... Um, just send him a postcard. You don't even have to write it. You don't have to write anything. Just their address and just say, you know, love whoever. If you think you haven't got time to send a postcard, just, just send a blank one. Because, you know, I can guarantee it'll be appreciated. Mm. Well, it'll be appreciated more than if you send nothing. <laughs> so thank you for mm. that. Yeah, you're welcome. I don't remember. I don't remember saying it. <laughs> Uh, you asked me earlier, the, the little bit of preparation we did for this, um, just before we came up here, was uh, you, you mentioned this would be a good idea to talk about our own experience of um, beneficial speech. And I couldn't think of anything at the time, but two things have occurred to me since. And uh, the first one happened again quite a long time ago. Um, it was uh, way back when I'd been living in Manchester for about 15 years and I'd left and um, I took more or less a year off, um, lived in Hebden Bridge. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do next, but uh, what I did know was I wanted to move out into the country and live in a retreat centre. And it, it came down in the end to two options. One was to go to Padmaloka, which is the men's um, ordination retreat centre, and become part of a team there, teaching team, and the other was to go to Vajrakuta, which was a study centre. Now, uh, in those days, I was very, very keen on study. I had I'd done lots and lots of study at that point and uh, would have you know, really welcomed the opportunity to go and live in a retreat centre where we could just study and lead seminars and so on, really get quite deeply into the Dharma texts. Uh, but I also knew that at the time, uh, the Padmaloka team were calling out for help um, with their retreats 
and I was I was more or less coming round to thinking I should that's the word should should go to Papaloka and help out there. But I went uh, I was at Gufiloka at the time. Lots of locus here, aren't there? I was at Gufiloka, the retreat centre there, on the retreat, and I went for a walk with Sabuti. And he asked me, you know, so what do you think you'll do next then? And I told him the dilemma I'd got. I said, I'm thinking actually of going to Pamaloka to be part of the team. And he said, don't do it. Don't do it, he said. The world needs a happy Ratnaguna. (laughs) (laughs) Not a stressed out Ratnaguna. And uh, part of the reason I had left Manchester, because I had just been the chairman for a short while, and that kind of post doesn't really suit me, and I, you know, it got me down, to be honest. And uh, Sabuti knew me well enough to know that doing something like that of duty would not really sustain me. So that was really, really helpful, and it had a really big effect on my life, because I then did go to live at Vajrakuta rather than Pavaloka. Um, much more recently, um, and this is something that you said to me, uh, I've been having a really, really tough time recently. And uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago now, uh, I'm in the same chapter as Prasadu and I was talking about um, this issue that I was really grappling with. And um, I think I was a bit angry at the time. And I said, I, feel, I just feel like doing this. And Prasadu said, hmm, what's it that you want? Well, I want this, he said, Mm. Well, you're not going to get that, obviously. Uh, what do you hope to achieve by doing that? And that was a really good question, because I, as soon as he asked me that, I realised that it would be folly to do the thing that I was thinking of doing. It wouldn't really get me anywhere. But it was really, really useful for someone just to point that out with a couple of questions. What do you want? I want this. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? Um, and what do you hope to achieve by doing this? Uh, I realised that doing that wasn't going to get me any kind of achievement whatsoever. So that, that was really, really useful. Um, so this is where we run, I run out of ideas. Um, maybe finish off, because we've been talking for, I can tell you exactly now, I can read this, 30 minutes, which is probably long enough to listen to a couple of people, isn't it? But um, before we finish, just to move on to Bhante Sangrachta and what he says about beneficial activity. He says it doesn't mean what is simply benefit in the ordinary worldly sense. It means what is of benefit spiritually. It means whatever helps people to grow, whatever helps them to develop, which is similar to what you were saying, wasn't it? So the Bodhisattva practices beneficial activity by giving people the Dharma, sharing them with his his own experience of the Dharma, sharing with them, in a word, himself or herself. He or she teaches them by encouraging them to grow, encouraging them to develop, inspiring people to live the spiritual life. Finally, he says inspiration is very important. It has been said that inspiration is the most important factor in the spiritual life. 
Finally, he says, and this is very beautiful, I must say, the Bodhisattva is like a candle which lights thousands upon thousands of other candles. After which they go on burning on their own fuel. Not only that, each of those candles in turn lights thousands and thousands of other candles. Mm. 